My name is Suming, and I'm Suba. Welcome to the Safe App Podcast, a podcast where we talk all things medical aesthetics. Today we're joined by someone very special. We've got Dr. Vincent Wong with us today. He is one of London's leading cosmetic doctors, trained in advanced non-surgical aesthetic treatments, and he also is a specialist in facial balancing and harmony. So we would like to welcome Dr. Vincent Wong. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you both? Yeah, we're very good, thank you. You know, second lockdown, it's been very interesting. Yes. It has. What have you guys been up to? Um, not much because we still work on the side. So we have been real working in the hospital and then doing this on the side. How okay. about you? I had a good few days off, which was good. Much but needed. <laughs> but I've been writing a few things and doing some admin, which I've been put off for. Yeah, that's <laughs> keeping you busy then. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, wait, yeah. so before we start, let's just introduce Dr. Vincent a little bit more. Yeah, so Dr. Vincent, I understand that you've won multiple awards for your work and have also been shortlisted previously as one of the ultimate 100 global aesthetic leaders. That is amazing. And you are also on the judging panel for Miss Universe Great Britain as well as My Face, My Body Awards. That yes. is very, very impressive work. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so how long have you been practicing in aesthetics for now? So I've been in aesthetics for about 10, coming up to 11 years. Wow. So, yeah. Very long time. Very long time. Should we start from beginning itself? So let's start off with where did you graduate medical school and then take it from there? Cool. So I graduated from the University of St. Andrews and Aberdeen. So I did my preclinical years in St. Andrews and mm-hmm. I did my clinical years in Aberdeen. After that, I moved to London and I started working for NHS, did multiple surgical placements yep. and ended up in plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. But throughout all this time, I was also doing aesthetics on the side. Yeah. I got my GMC registration. The reason why I go into it is actually that there are two big factors, that, important factors that influence my decision. Yeah. So I've always been interested in skin. So since fourth year medical school, I knew that I wanted a career in something related to skin. Oh, wow. So at yep. stage, it was either dermatology or plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. I thought plastic surgery was a bit more difficult to get into. So if I can get into that one, it would be better. So... <laughs> <laughs> so I not competitive on. at all <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I kind of like worked my way through and managed to get into plastic surgery and then I remember I, at that time I also had a personal struggle with my skin so I had really bad acne oh. I don't know why from a young age I had really good skin and then as soon as I hit I think 20 mm-hmm. I just really bad adult acne oh was it to do with any stress or do you have you found yeah, any like precipitating factors school and exams and yeah <laughs> probably that. yeah um, yeah and also at that time i think my diet wasn't the best mm-hmm. so you know i think there's a lot of factors i'm contributing to that 
Yeah. So at the same time, I was also looking at what treatments that I could have to get rid of my acne. And I remember going to a conference by Barpress, yep. um, which is the British Association of Plastics Reconstructive and Aesthetic Surgeon mm-hmm. in Glasgow. I was presenting a paper that I did for my elective there. Yeah. And I remember being sat down next to this amazing plastic surgeon, Asian man, who was, you know, just talking and I actually at first thought that he was a junior doctor. Oh. So I thought he'd been like, you know, a couple of years older than me. And then when he told me his age, I was just like, oh my God, how do you look so young? Oh, wow. <laughs> and then he was the one who actually told me about non-surgical aesthetics, what he does. Yeah. And that into it and I never looked back and now I'm the one getting the compliments yes you look phenomenal your skin is actually phenomenal for our podcast viewers who can't see at the moment Dr. Vincent Wong's skin is amazing he does not look his age like he looks maybe like a 21 year old yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> no, honestly, your skin is phenomenal. Like, even from here, like, we can obviously see your face. Yeah, so I guess our listeners just have to... Take our word for it. <laughs> or actually, they can follow him on his Instagram and see him there. Yeah. But, yes, your skin is amazing. Yeah. So that set was my start of getting into aesthetics and then I, well, when I was able to start actually training in aesthetics, I was trained by Kate Goldie, Mm -hmm. who is a very well-known aesthetics doctor within the industry. And then I threw myself in the deep end and started my own business and eventually quit the NHS. So that was a very big step for me. No regrets then, I assume. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how do you find the aesthetics industry in the uk share with our listeners like you know something that maybe the listeners might not be aware of i think the biggest challenge for me is obviously starting my own business because yeah. obviously in medical school they don't teach you all the things you need to know about starting a business so that was the biggest challenge for me and also from a lot of people think that you know if you're an aesthetics doctor you must be earning a lot of money but then you know obviously when you're starting out your your income varies from month to month. Yeah. And I remember that being a big challenge for me as well because I was used to being paid a fixed salary per month for yeah. my NHS work. And then, you know, just going from a fixed income to a variable income was... It, it took a bit of adapting. The industry as a whole, I think, you know, there, there are a lot of nice colleagues, a lot of nice people, but I think it is kind of not as regulated as it should be mm-hmm. to other countries, um, especially within Europe as well. So, you know, it, it makes things a little bit more difficult in, when, when it comes to competition because obviously there are non-medical professionals who are doing what we do and offering at a much lower price. And obviously from a consumer point of view, they're always looking for the best deals. So yeah. it is difficult to actually differentiate yourself a little that that much to actually convince people to to come to you rather than someone someone else and i think in the uk it's also very saturated even amongst medical professionals it is quite hard to actually distinguish yourself and to find your own niche and to find your feet in this industry but it is an industry that is very rewarding yeah. and it does require a lot of commitment. So, and it's very enjoyable. Yeah. So, you like what you do, keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And, you, 
everything off onto plates. Oh, that sounds very encouraging. Yeah, it is very encouraging yeah. for those who want to start off and those who actually have a genuine interest in aesthetics. Yeah, and I think it's really good that you brought up the point on non-medical people within the industry. Because I guess people don't see that their skin is an organ itself and how important it is to look after their skin. Yeah. Which I guess it's really good that we're doing the podcast today on skin health. So should we start off with why is skin health important? So I think skin health is something that's often overlooked in aesthetics, especially among consumers. A lot of people just think of aesthetics as Botox fillers. You know, yeah, absolutely. Volume, getting rid of that wrinkle or getting rid of pigment or whatever. But actually, skin health is very, very important. It's it's almost like, you know, if you have a living room with wallpaper falling off, yeah. but you want a new sofa. So, yes, you can have a new sofa. Yes, it's going to make it look better, but it's not going to look, you know, the best and it's not going to be in line with what you're trying to achieve yeah. and you know you need to fix that wallpaper or yeah. repaint the wall <laughs> i love the analogy <laughs> so, I, I always think that you know skin health is is something that people need to be aware of obviously skin is the largest organ of the body and also it is a reflection of our inner well-being yeah so you know especially the face and you know, it is important that we look after it properly. And also in terms of having other treatments, if you're already, you know, spending money, investing in your own appearance, having good skin health is actually going to prolong the results. So yeah. your other treatments are going to work even better and give you better results for yeah. a long I definitely find that during times where I'm eating better and staying hydrated, I definitely find that my skin looks better. Absolutely, yeah. So within your aesthetic clinic itself, what are the common skin conditions or problems do you see? So I would say the, the most common skin condition is acne, mm-hmm. but also things like hyperpigmentation or scarring, either from acne or from other traumas. Those are the key things that I see within the clinic. And, you know, this kind of skin conditions can actually have a very big impact on the patient's confidence. And a lot of people tend to cover it up with makeup or, yeah. you know, like their social life to, to a huge extent. So I think it's important that, you know, we as aesthetics practitioners address that as well. Yeah. Can you talk us through how do you, apart from their skin health, how do you assess them as a whole? So do you assess them in terms of their mental well-being and how their approach is to their facial treatments that they're seeking? So I, I often start by asking what bothers them. I think that is one very important question because, yeah. number one, you will know whether it is someone has a realistic expectation or not. Mm-hmm. So say, for example, if someone answers my whole face, yeah. then... You know, then they are going to be a little bit more difficult and you need to bring them back down to earth during that consultation in order to, you know, keep them happy. Because in some patients, especially because with what we do, BDD, body dysmorphia disorder, is actually as high as about 50%, I think. So, you know, there's a very high chance that the person sitting in front of you might have BDD. So, you know... In this group of patients, even the correct procedure, the correct product can give you the wrong result. Yeah. Right? 
will never be happy with how they look. So I think that is quite an important question. And also for you to internally assess the patient throughout the whole consultation. Yeah. Once I've answered that question and once I've worked out that, you know, it is a realistic you know, problem, like, yeah. I can see their concern, stuff like that. Then I move on to sort of like asking them what, motiv- what motivates them to actually have consultations why did they come to see me so questions like why now what do you think what changes do you think happen once you have better skin or once we have addressed the concerns and stuff like that mm-hmm. and then we move on to you know the history so whether they have had a treatment before whether yep. they've had consultation before mm-hmm. and why they haven't if they did have a consultation, why didn't they go ahead with, with a treatment? Are there any barriers, whether it's financial or whether they're just scared, whether it's like information? So the first part, I'll ask a lot of questions and then I tend to listen. And the second part is when I do most of the talking. So yeah. I'll then, from what, what they say, whatever their asset concern is, then I will try to educate them on what has happened. And then along the way, I would give them suggestions of what I think can help, but then do it in a way so that it's not, you know, I'm not forcing them of to, course, yeah. to be able to follow what I say. Yeah. So giving them options, giving them, giving them time to actually think about things and ultimately come up together to form a unique treatment plan that would suit their budget, suit their timing, schedule, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So coming back to acne, is it something that you've actually seen has increased throughout this year itself, you know, with COVID, with people wearing masks? Is it something that's quite common because of that? Or is it just in general? I have. So a lot of people are coming to see me because of, you know, acne, or what they call mask me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so obviously... If you're wearing a mask and you're wearing it for a long time, then, you know, obviously it's more humid, it's, it's more hot, just like Malaysia. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Our homeland. <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> so it, it provides a good environment for bacteria to grow yeah. and also, you know, you produce more sebum and things like that. So acne is more likely if you're wearing masks for a long period of time. And the hyperpigmentation, is it mostly, because I've read that it's mostly for people of like Asian or darker skin. Is that true? Or are you seeing it in, in everyone? Everyone, I would say. Like, you know, the scary thing is a lot of young people as well. Because obviously, you know, we are constantly on our mobile phone screens, computer screen. Yeah. And, that. and there's a lot of UVA from, from these screens and yeah. TV screens even and uva is actually responsible for 90 percent of skin damage whereas uvb only burns your skin so you know um we are you know exposing our skin to a lot of um, harmful uva uv rays without even um realizing it yeah and what is the age range that you actually see with acne with acne i've treated people as young as 16 years old and also up to mid 50s mid 50s Oh, so tell us like in general, what is your approach to acne treatment? Do you, I mean, do you have a first line, second line? How do you tend to approach your treatment? So I, I tend to find out more about about the actual condition. So hmm. how long they've had it for, anything that they've realized that makes it better or worse, what they're using on their skin. 
usually that would give me a good idea of you know what I can recommend yeah. in terms of skincare products, what active ingredients we should be looking at, how we can help reduce the inflammation, and then look into kind of protecting the skin a little bit more, and also treatments that can actually prevent scarring from happening mm-hmm. um, from an early stage, so that they're not um, left with the consequences of the skin condition later on in life. Yeah. Yeah. But your treatment ranges from a simple chemical pill or a simple home regime to medications such as um, Rakuten and things like that. So it really just depends on the presentation. Yeah. Okay. So what do you think are the common, like when you see people in your clinic, what are, what are the common misconceptions that people have about... Okay, so... I think the most common misconception when it comes to skin in general is that people think that they only need to wear sun protection when they're outdoors and when it's sunny. So that is a big no-no. Um, you have to wear sun protection every day. There are two main types of um, sun protection, so whether it's a physical or chemical block. So if you're wearing a chemical block, you have to reapply every two hours. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're wearing a physical block, then once a day is enough. It's literally like an extra layer yeah. to protect in. That's that's the key thing. As I've said earlier, you know, UVA from indoor lighting, computer screens, mm. phone screens, that can cause a lot of damage. The second common misconception is that good skincare is expensive. That is strictly not true. Yeah. It just has to be effective. It doesn't yeah. have to be expensive. So a lot of um, medical-grade skincare is actually very affordable. Um, and, you know, medical-grade products are a lot better because of the active ingredients, the concentration and quality as well. And I would say the third most common misconception is that sensitive skin is something that they have to live with. So again, sensitive skin is actually a condition that can be easily treated. Um, You just have to thicken the skin back up and it's not something that you have to suffer on your own for the rest of your life. Oh, that's interesting. Tell us a little bit more about this sensitive skin. How would you go about, you know, thickening the skin up? Before we go into that, can you just get a little bit more in detail about what do you mean about sensitive skin? I was just about to say that. By sensitive skin. Yeah. So a lot of people think, you know, thin skin is sensitive skin. A lot of people think, you know, if you have a little bit of redness, it's sensitive skin. If your skin reacts to something, it's sensitive skin. That is strictly not true. So sensitive skin, in my opinion, is a skin type that is generally thin, mm-hmm. quite dry, gets red quite easily, whether you're in heat or cold, and sometimes can cause a bit of irritation without any actual obvious stimuli so for this kind of skin what i would strongly 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 suggest is Mm -hmm. obviously number one sun protection make sure you protect your skin you don't want to have any excess transepidermal water loss so you know also to you know use things like vitamin c peptides and things like that to protect the skin to form better barrier yeah skin treatments such as hydro boosters hyaluronic acid prp NCTF, so a mixture of cocktails of, of vitamins and things like that that you can inject into the skin yeah. to help in the dermis back up. Then, obviously, you know, with a combination of treatments and looking after skin properly and you combine it with retinol as well, that would 
obviously increase the um, cell turnover rate so that it's closer to 28 days rather than 100 days. Yeah. And some people think that, especially retinol, if you start using it, obviously it will cause a little bit of reaction. And some people think that they are not suitable. Like straight away, the first thing is that, oh, I'm having a reaction, it's not suitable. But that's not true. So retinol over time, it will actually thicken back up the skin and help you to have better skin quality and better skin health in general. Okay, and you talk about cell turnover. What do you mean about the cell turnover? So the cell turnover rate varies according to your, obviously your age and then your lifestyle factors and things like that. So if you're comparing someone who is young and healthy and fit, the cell turnover rate is normally, you get new skin cells every 28 days. Where you compare it with someone who is probably a little bit older, sun damage, skin, smoker, so on and so forth, then the cell turnover rate is closer to 100 days. So oh. there's a big range between 28 days to 100 days. And then with active ingredients such as vitamin C and retinol, we are trying to increase the cell turnover rate so that it becomes shorter, so it's closer to 28 days rather than 100 days. So does that mean it get? rid of the dead skin more often yes so you have a fresher layer yeah exactly and then your skin also becomes thicker over time oh interesting yeah yeah so with that in mind can you run us through some of the skincare tips so i know you mentioned spf i wear spf 50 every day just wanted to put it out there so that you'd be happy with me (laughs) i kind of just started wearing spf i won't i won't lie to you yeah i think i've been wearing spf 50 for about probably the last like five years Oh my god, amazing. Yeah, I know. The one thing that I learned, I was like, yep, I'm going to wear SPF 50 every day. Even like in the winter, I do that as well. Me too, I use it every day. I actually use SPF 90. Oh, oh wow. wow. But so, so, oh yeah. So another thing that I wanted to talk about was because some people, I've heard that if you're wearing SPF 50, it doesn't really make too much of a difference anymore if you go any higher than that. What are your thoughts about that? It's absolutely right. So SPF is only, it's, it's more a measure of time limit on, you know, obviously how often you need to reapply it. Yeah. Um, obviously, if we're talking about chemical block here. So obviously, if you're wearing SPF 50, then that's enough protection for your skin. But then you have to reapply it every two hours. Yeah. Whereas SPF 90, it doesn't offer you more protection, but then you time in between reapplying it can be a little bit longer ah okay what about some people who are probably more oily so then they tend to sweat more and have oily skin so they may they might be like blotting off the oil and like cleaning their face more often wiping off the sweat so if in those people would you suggest maybe spf 50 but because they will have to top it up more often anyway or would you say maybe spf 90 is a better option it depends on their lifestyle and schedule. If they are able to reapply every two hours, then SPF 50 is enough. Mm. If not, then I'll recommend higher SPF. But these days, there are also SPF translucent powder that you can apply on top of your makeup yeah. and things like that. So it's really, really easy to um, protect your skin with SPF. Yeah, so our listeners... Basically, what Dr. Vincent is saying is that you guys have to take responsibility of your own skin health and apply that SPF every day, every two hours if possible. <laughs> no excuses. Yeah. 
so can you suggest some let's just say some just some basic skincare routines that we can do at home yeah because you were saying that it can be very affordable and we basically yep. want to provide our listeners with basically options that are very affordable mm. that they can do at home yeah yeah I think the key thing is obviously to wash your face with the face wash. I know this sounds very, very simple and probably a little bit silly, but I know people who don't wash their face and people who wash their face with hand soap. Um, <laughs> so do not do that. <laughs> so that's rule number one. <laughs> and then obviously we talked about SPF. Other ingredients that are worth looking into would be things like vitamin C yeah. and retinol. Um, so this will help with your collagen production, you know, maintaining your skin health and things like that. And also always wash your face in the morning if you're using retinol. Because if not, then obviously the sun is going to cause even more damage than good. And also always, 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 if you're wearing makeup, remove your makeup before you go to bed. Very important. That is very important. And in terms of the retinol, is there a particular concentration that we're looking at? Yeah. So retinol is a derivative of vitamin A. So it comes in two forms. It has retinol or as um, tretinoin. So tretinoin is slightly more potent. So it ranges from 0.025% to Mm 0.1%, whereas retinol as a standard is 025 or 1%. For those of you who are younger, are just starting out, I think retinol would probably be a good option. Tretinoin tends to be more for people with existing pigments, or they want to achieve more dramatic results, or someone with someone who's a little bit older, so someone with photodamaged skin. But the key thing with either retinol or tretinoin is that you, slop, you start slow. So I would say if you're using, a, you know, start with a medium concentration, so either 0.05% of tretinoin or 0.5% of retinol, try to use it once or twice a week to start with, and then yeah. gradually increase that to every every night. So when you increase it to every night, that will be a long-term routine? No, I usually tell my clients to use retinol or tretinoin for about four to six months maximum, mm-hmm. and then give the skin a break for another four to six months and then restart it again. Oh, so it's almost like a every six months. Like So basically... Half of the year, you would do it, and then you take a break for the, the remaining half of the year. That's probably easier to remember for me. Yeah, but why would you suggest that, though? What is the reasoning behind that? Because long-term use of retinol or tretinoin actually can be damaging to the skin. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so. this thing about how sometimes you can't apply retinol every day. Is that through, or is that a misconception again? It just depends on your tolerance and how your skin reacts to it. So some people get a lot of flakiness, a lot mm-hmm. of dryness and discomfort, especially around the mouth area. Then those kind of clients should use it every other day. But if you can, try to use it every night. Uh, I mean, those kind of reactions are to be expected mm-hmm. and they will get better with time. But if it becomes you know, really unbearable, then try to use it every other night. Amazing skin. Yeah. At the, I think recently a lot of people have started using the home peel kit. How would you suggest to people who are using retinol at the moment, but are also considering using the home peel kit? Like, how would you fit that into your skincare routine? It really depends on what's in the peel. 
So a skin peel is really good because obviously it will take off the top layer of the dead skin and also reveal a, a younger looking, fresher skin underneath. But peels come in different concentrations, yeah. different strengths for different skin types. So sometimes people with darker complexions might not be a suitable candidate for skin peels. Just make sure you check everything properly to make sure that you're using a peel that is suitable for your skin type. And then also depending on the peel, some peels are, you know, use it once a week. Some peels you use it once a month. So depending on how regular, how frequently you're using it, it has an impact as well. So I would suggest just to be on the safe side, if you're going to use a skin peel at home, and do not use any retinol or tretinoin products. So should you take a break for like, I don't know, seven days before starting a home pill? Seven days yeah. before starting it. And then don't use it until your skin has fully recovered right. from the people. Yeah. yeah, that's good. So basically, if people are considering using... Because I think a lot of the home pill kit, the concentration of the acid is generally lower than the, the pills that you would be offering in clinic. Am I right? Well, it depends because these days you can get anything online. You can get the yeah, that's online. also true. That's very yeah, true. Great chemical peel online, so you know, depends on where you get get your peel from. Yeah, so. that's also very true. So listeners have to be very careful if they're buying home peel kits because you don't want to be buying very high concentration acid and you are new to using peels because that would be very damaging to the skin and sometimes these damages can be irreversible isn't it absolutely yes awesome so can you tell us how does aesthetics tie into skin health what can you guys generally speaking most if not all aesthetics treatments actually does contribute to skin health even things like dermal fillers and um, botulinum toxin Mm -hmm. because obviously we are stimulating fibroblasts we are also a lot of Aesthetics treatments is actually about creating limited and manageable damage to the skin so that your skin can repair itself and then you get the aesthetics effects from that. But I would say there are certain treatments that are specially designed for skin health. So, for example, there are skin booster injections. So I use the Hydro Booster from... Uh, Relife, so that's a very good hydrating treatment for the skin. Mm-hmm. PRP is obviously a really good one as well. As I mentioned earlier, NCTF by Filmat is a very, very good treatment because it's got 56 different vitamins and amino acids that can really boost your skin glow and it changes how light is reflected off the surface. And also certain skin, skin laser treatments are very good for skin health as well yeah. and for targeting things like pigmentation or even acne and acne scarring. You mentioned PRP. Can you just explain PRP? So PRP is platelet-rich plasma. So it's also known as the Dracula treatment or the vampire treatment because we extract blood from the client Mm -hmm. and we put into centrifuge, extract platelets, which are cells that can produce growth factors. So Mm -hmm. these are living cells. So we extract that and then inject it back into the skin so that we um, trick your skin to believe that you have um, undergone trauma and you need a lot of repair process underneath closed skin. That is just extremely smart, isn't it? That our yeah. skin is able to do that. And you also mentioned NCTF. Is that basically like microneedling and just things that you'd be injecting into it? So it is, it's almost like mesotherapy. Yeah. So it is an actual injection, but it's very superficial and you want to target either the superficial dermis 
or the epidermal dermal junction to stimulate the fibroblast production. Yeah, and right. it's a mixture of a lot of different minerals, vitamins, and amino acids that are very good for the skin. Right. And obviously, these treatments are just tailored to each individual based on your consultation, right? Yeah, absolutely. And also, I would say that not, I don't know, like, I tend to stay away from standalone treatments. So yeah. I wouldn't say this treatment is going to be the best treatment for you or whatever. Generally speaking, combination treatments are best. Yep. So, you know, I would tend to combine PRP with NCTF, for example, or Hydro Booster or something else. Hmm. So it just depends on the presentation of the patient. I know this is a bit going backwards, but are you able to just talk about what exactly the skin does itself to our users, like the skin functions? Basic introduction on like the skin as an organ. Yeah. So our skin is the largest organ of the body and it has many functions. So for example, it keeps us warm. It provides vitamin D when we're in the sun. It also um, provides protection to, to our deeper structures. Yep. helps us stay away from danger, for example, with, with like nerve endings and things like that. So if we touch something hot, we automatically move away. Yep. So that's a protection mechanism. And also it has a function, hormones, regulations and productions and things like that. What structures are we focusing? So um, our skin can be divided into the epidermis, which is the top layer, which is which consists of actually seven layers of cells in various degrees of dyeing. So the mm-hmm. most superficial layer is actually dead cells. Mm-hmm. And then the second layer is actually dermis. So this is the thicker part of the skin, and this is where all the exciting things happen. So within this layer, you have blood vessels, you have nerve endings, you have you know hair follicles, you have sweat glands, you have collagen, you have elastin, hyaluronic acid, so on and so forth. And with aging, this is the layer that actually gets thinner with age. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we talk about skin health or skin restructuring tri- restructuring treatments or skin boosting treatments, we are targeting the dermis. So we're hoping to use more collagen, more elastin to increase the elasticity and strength and structure of the skin. And then below the dermis, we have the subcutaneous fat, mm-hmm. which is uh, just a fat layer that has stem cells and function. The main function is as protection as and as lubrication as well, so that we can move our faces, our skin without any friction. Oh, thank you for explaining that. Yeah, it was much needed. <laughs> I wish I actually asked this question in the beginning. <laughs> awesome. So Dr. Vincent, tell us about, so before we finish, why don't you tell us what is your typical daily skincare routine? Morning <laughs> and evening? Yeah, fill us in with your skincare routine. Do we really have to do this? <laughs> yes, we need to know. Share the secret. amazing. <laughs> so in the morning, I wash my face yeah. with um, dental cleanser and then I use the toner from Illumia which has um, peptides within it and then I apply a 20% vitamin C serum my personal choice is Morbagi and after that I would put on my sun protection so SPF 90 from Helio Care um, <laughs> and then in the evening I wash my face again yeah. and then I put on 1% retinol Oh, okay. And I go to sleep. <laughs> oh, yes. And stay hydrated, eat well, <laughs> the usual stuff. Yeah. 
That's amazing. I was gonna think like you were gonna have ten steps to your skincare routine. Yeah, because you know, like Korean skincare routine is like fifteen steps or something extremely long and laborsome. Oh man. Okay, so I guess I'm gonna take that skincare routine. I think we're just gonna adopt yours now. Yeah, I'm just gonna be like the Dr. Vincent Wong skincare routine. That's yeah, what I'm gonna, gonna do follow now. Yours now. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Vincent. And thank you guys for you know for what you're doing. I think it's fantastic. And for all the listeners out there, you know you wouldn't let anyone off the street to cut your hair. So make sure you don't let anyone without qualifications to inject your face. And if you want any kind of like tips, any advice, any information, please come to Safe App. They are. The best have done the VAT. Um, it's almost like my VAT. What am I talking about? Um, MOT. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And if you would like to... Fun- MOT for aesthetics. So make sure that, you know, um, you listen to them and, you know, they are here to give you advice and to help you to get um, the best quality of your skin and to also help you achieve aesthetics goals. Awesome. And if you would like to find Dr. Vincent Wong, he's also available on our app that you can download on Apple and Android. Thank you everyone for joining us today. If you are a client, we are Safe App on the App Store and Google Play. And for practitioners, we are Safe App Partner. You can also find us on Instagram at the underscore safe app. And we are available both on Facebook and LinkedIn as Safe App Partner. Thank you.